Have we ever debated on this show what actually constitutes the like the Great Plains or the Midwest? On this show? Absolutely. With John, perhaps not. Okay. I yeah. was always led to believe that those are two separate things. Like the Midwest is like parts of Illinois and Ohio and the Great Plains are like where there are wind comes sweeping down the plain. Right, right. Well, and then there's also, there's a term that they use, I think only in some of these areas and not outside, which is the heartland. Oh, that's made up. That's whatever you feel in your heart, where you feel at home. <laughs> I think the Great Plains are actually just a big bioregion, like a big, yeah. you know, it's an ecological distinction. It doesn't follow state lines as easily. There's not a wall between like, it's, and now it's mountains or whatever. Uh-huh. Yet. <laughs> yeah, right. well, I mean, that's that's the wall, right? Yeah. It's like, that's how you know the Great Plains are done because all of a sudden you get into some foothills right. and they're not like plains anymore. If that's the deal, then we get to claim like parts of Arkansas and Texas and Wyoming and Colorado and Montana. I'm going to start telling like QAnon people that the Rocky Mountains and the Appalachians were the ancient walls to separate the coastal elites from the real America. Oh, yeah. And that they need to, like, rebuild oh, them. Brilliant. Oh, they would believe that. <laughs> I got retweeted by a QAnoner today uh, because, I mean, <laughs> they were talking about the, the Seth Rich conspiracy theory. Still going on that uh, one, huh? On the radio. Again? Yeah, well, apparently. So when I got home, I posted... Uh, I have information that will lead to the arrest of Seth Rich. Oh, he's going down. And tagged it like, hashtag QAnon, hashtag where we go, when we go all. He faked, he faked uh, his own and, death. He's been hiding out in Cuba this whole time. <laughs> and some, yeah, and some like 20,000 follower like QAnon account retweeted it. Like these people are just, they're just the best. Did you see driving QAnon mom? She was so great. Oh man, yeah. She was like bizarro version She's... Marianne Williamson. <laughs> She is Marion Williamson. Just like, <laughs> wait a wig. Two sings. Like, the scariest thing about her is, like, how common that is. Like, if you just replace a few of the words, it's like every suburban relative I have that's, like, married to someone else. Yeah. They're basically her. And she's so certain of everything. I mean, it, it really is. You get that real kind of Jonestown vibe. She believes in sparkle motion. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. That's where she was driving to. She was driving to sparkle motion dance practice. Welcome back to the Liquid Flannel Podcast from Arlington, Texas. I am Matthew Hodges, joined once again by my last week absent and with us again, comrade and co-host Brendan Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. Brendan, how'd the move go? I'm coming to you live from the brand new studio full of cardboard boxes. Not as sound dampening as I hope. <laughs> the Brendan Brendome. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to catch on, but we'll see. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I I managed to uh, scrounge up some loose wires and connect everything up temporarily here. So uh, hopefully by next week, I actually like have a a desk or something. Oh, right. What are you you seated at right now? Uh, Well, this is a chair and then the computer's on like an end table. Okay. And then I have an old TV as the monitor. (laughs) And then this microphone is just on a pile of cardboard boxes, literally, with like books in them. (laughs) Books are really heavy, and they take up a lot of space. I advise not having them anymore. Uh, if you're ever going to move, just <sighs> don't have physical books, because they're just really, they're like bricks. Hard disagree, and uh, you can tell that somebody else is on the line also disagreeing. And, of course, that's our old friend John Levitt coming at us from New York City. Hello, John. Howdy, and as someone who now runs a relatively successful leftist book-sharing program, I find your anti-book sentiment <laughs> to be disturbing and disgusting. <laughs> that's See, right, that's, I'm, not, I'm not against book-sharing as long as they're not my books. I'm against the, the personal <laughs> you know, ownership of the books. I want to set the books free so that they're just accessible in a place where I can get them if I need them, and I don't have to lug them around from house yeah. to house. Okay, that's that's a little bit more. You're not opposed to the physical medium. No, that's why I have so many of them. But it's just <laughs> it's just sometimes you you question your life. You're like, why do I have well, this, two Harry Potter sets? Like, I, pr- well, I probably is, don't need to. 
Right. This is classical literature. This is hubris. This is the fatal flaw in the tragic character that causes their downfall. You <laughs> love books so much, they hinder you. Mm. Think about that, college boy. Can you imagine being the bookseller <laughs> in, like, the post-apocalypse? Like, that's a rough gig, you know? You're having to, like, haul your books on your two-headed cow from town yeah. to town. Like, ugh. Tough stuff. But you could be the bookmobile. <laughs> You'd be a beloved character. You'd be the postman, but not Kevin Costner, so it'd be okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that would be all right. I always thought that, you know, either post-apocalypse or um, if I were to be whisked away in time, like back to, you know, uh, Connecticut Yankee style, back to King Arthur's Court or something, um, that's the job I would want to do is be like the bard, the guy who travels around and like brings the news and like... Like, some people, like, 500 miles away finally invented a new song. Do you guys want to hear it? Uh, buy me dinner, you know, and you can hear that song. <laughs> well, I'll yeah. tell you what we want, what we really, really want. I'll tell you what we want. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? You could go, I mean, just with, just with like, the pop songs that you know the lyrics to, you could go back and completely reboot what uh, what musical development sounded like for the rest of history. Oh man, those babies would have been hit so many times. <laughs> did we? Uh, did we ever talk about that step post-apocalyptic Simpsons play? Oh, that they Mr. Burns, a post-electric post play. I love that play. Oh, have you seen it? Have you actually seen the play? No, yeah, I saw it when I was at New World oh. Theaters. It's amazing. I'm so. I've only read of it, uh, and uh, it sounds incredible. But the oh, st- no, tr- tr- track down the script if you can. It's <laughs> it's great. The plot is that there is uh, like an apocalyptic event. And, like, very soon after in Act 1, these people, like, gather together around a campfire and they're like, man, it's been – I can't believe that apocalyptic event happened. But let's talk about something else. Do you remember this really great Simpsons episode? And then they, in Act 2, kind of transition from, like, telling Simpsons jokes around a campfire to being, like, a traveling troupe of post-apocalypse Simpsons Uh performers And then the third act is, like, in the far, far future when society has, like, rebuilt itself and The Simpsons is, like, a religion, basically. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, it's, like, them, like, trying to perform, like, old fairy tales and they're they're really off base at this point and they're a musical now. It's it's amazing. Yeah, sure. No, it reminds me of... uh... What was that rain of fire? Oh hell where, yeah! <laughs> yeah, where they're like down in the bunker and the parents are are putting on a play for the kids, and it's this really clunky rendition of the Empire Strikes Back because nobody knows exactly, nobody remembers exactly what was said, but they remember the like the broad points of the story. You know, the premise of like a canticle for Leibowitz is like the people in the post-apocalypse like don't have any context for what they're transcribing, so it's like, wow, this shopping list is really important. We should put a lot of meaning into this. That's so great. Post-apocalyptic memes are going to be, uh, it's going to be insane out there. <laughs> well, and, you know, I, I guess that's as good a transition as any into, you know, some of the things we're going to talk about, because the apocalypse feels more and more... Nigh? Nigh, yes. <laughs> Can something be more or less nigh? nigh Even nigher than before, <laughs> yeah. It's been, uh, it's been quite a couple of weeks since the last time you and i recorded brendan yeah i tell you man moving it's hell uh it's <laughs> it's rough stuff oh, boy. Uh, out there what are you guys talking about did something yeah. else happen well i felt really bad for uh you know I, I had everett on last week and he and i had this great discussion and we were talking about you know uh go back and listen to it because we were talking about a white supremacist attack in texas and it's not the one that everybody listening to this right now is thinking of. It's like, one go of back the and other it. three. Complete, one of the yeah. other ones that happened. Well, if you um, really look into it, you know, there's there's more than probably one a day is right. going on down there. Texas yeah. is a big place, and there's there's a lot of white supremacy, I hear. Uh, yeah. I mean, just today they foiled what they think was another one of these guys uh, down at one of the detention centers. Um, dude, like, brandishing a knife and then... When the cops searched his Trump and, like, fluoride conspiracy theory festooned pickup truck, they found, you know, a loaded weapon. The guy was wearing, uh, like, latex gloves when they picked him up. And uh, and then they let him go on his own recognizance because he hadn't actually committed a crime by that point. So, you know, maybe we'll hear more about him in the future. Hopefully not. But, yeah, things are getting real weird. Yeah, I I feel real sorry for Texas. It's just like, you know, beautiful 
beautiful scenery, some of the nicest people you'll ever meet, great food. I'm so sorry so many weirdos are attracted to your state. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if the weirdos are attracted here or if the place creates its own weirdos. Well, it is weirdly empty, and I always think that's not healthy for human beings. (laughs) <laughs> like you, you should not be able to go more than two days without seeing another person you know as far as that goes though um you know ohio is pretty well you know populated in and uh on wednesday somebody got their house blown up with like swastikas and uh racial slurs written all over an it. interracial couple whose house had previously caught fire mysteriously and that's just um a super cool thing that happens all the time now uh best right. not to think about it too hard yeah it's just a guerrilla counterinsurgency yeah against interracial marriage i mean are they really keeping that feud alive god oh, that's absolutely. taking it way back but they're absolutely. still upset catholics can vote <laughs> ever since jfk i'll never forgive him. i mean the el paso shooter named it it explicitly in his manifesto as one of the things that was like degrading white civilization now hold on i heard that was an ironic manifesto yeah, yeah, yeah. anything to distance themselves from it i suppose yeah uh, and you know like the last time richard spencer was on cnn was like an embarrassingly short time ago like none of these people have learned anything no progress is being made there was the the hell world newsletter in which uh, they said, it, why does it feel like all our national journalists are trying to type with their head in a bag? <laughs> and he had a really good line. Um, it was about um, someone who died recently. And they said, well, the future isn't their concern anymore. And that's what hit me. It's like, oh, that's what everyone in power is like. The future is not their concern anymore. They don't right. actually care because yeah. they're not going to be around to see it. They're waiting for the bunkers in New Zealand to get built so they can go bugger off there and have their security cards eventually kill them. Right, right. So that's why it feels like time isn't advancing. And it, it's why it feels like the fever never breaks. It's why it feels like I, I've been talking to a lot of like British comrades recently, and they've all been sort of like quasi-ironically using the term black-pilled because they just don't see any future, especially in their country anymore. Yeah. But what is more like a black pill mindset than Megan McArdle? Like who just says the most like <laughs> insane nihilistic things every day and then just yeah, goes right. off to eat Italian food and not care? Or um, right. the Ricketts Brett, Brett family. Stevens. Brett Stevens, who sees all of these things happening in his country and still writes the same fucking article every two weeks about how he said something dumb about campus culture and then a bunch of people on Twitter called him a nitwit and said they were going to shove him in a locker. Right. Right. There's like literally like mass shootings happening like multiple times a day now. And he's like, you know, the real issue, though, is, uh, you know, campus free speech won't let... uh, you know, uh, Ari Fleischer give a talk anymore right. or whatever. And it's like, no one wants what? to talk to Alan Dershowitz on Martha's Vineyard anymore. He's <laughs> right. very isolated right now. Yeah. He has some it's thoughts that he needs to share with the world. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Pro- like- pronouns, you know, campus is asking, uh, asking for people to be respectful about other people's pronouns are basically this generation's killing fields. <laughs> not the actual, no, not the Walmarts and uh, strip mall restaurants of the right. world. Uh, those are those are totally. There fine. was a stampede in Times Square uh, yesterday oh because a motorcycle backfired and people thought it was a shooting. And like you just see these visions of these waves of people moving through Times Square. Like at one point, someone in a Pikachu costume goes by, and you're just like. Oh no, the apocalypse is stupid. <laughs> and you know, I, I listen to my British comrades talking about like the despair they feel and being like black pills and all that. And I think about comments of like you can't afford the luxury of despair, but I don't think that's what's happening. Like we're the ones who are still like mentioning and caring about the fact that everything is going to shit. The real black pill folks are like the Ricketts billionaire family. Because if you read the emails that Splinter put out a while back, I was just reminded of them because it hit me again that one of the Ricketts is the governor of Nebraska or something. Right. Oh, Oh, yeah. Uh And I just remembered reading those emails. And this guy who has more power and money than you, I, or anyone we ever meet will ever have collectively in our lifetime emails like some sort of brain-addled Fox News watching uncle who can't, like, put his own socks or tie his own shoes. Yeah, totally. I mean, there, there. It's absolute boomer mindset, and I mean, I, I think that's a big part of it too. Is that, um, you know, the 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 ownership class right now 
are are increasingly aging, right? I mean, like Trump's supporters, his base of support is aging out from under him right now uh, in, in a lot of ways, at least the people who hold any kind of any kind of power. And I think that that might actually be contributing to what we're seeing with the rise of overt violence on the part of young people, because they they are going to have to live through it. Right. And so it's I think for them, part of the mentality is also like they want to go down swinging. Now, they're they're directing that. uh, John, you called it a libidinal energy. earlier, And I thought that that was 100 percent right. They're directing it toward all of the wrong targets, obviously. But I think that that's that's the difference. That's why, like, old Fox News uncles uh, are not out in the streets you know, being violent, whereas all of their like nephews or their nephews, kids or whatever are are actually, you know, taking up arms and trying to, you know, blow up people's houses and shoot people at a Walmart. Well, that's why they all love QAnon, because QAnon doesn't require anything of you. It just requires you to post. It's like the laziest conspiracy theory in the world. Right. Yeah. It's one of the it's, it's like an arg, one of those like augmented reality games where you just get to look for look for little clues here and there. And as long as right. they confirm your priors, then you feel like you've really accomplished something. If QAnon obsession is keeping people, you know, giving people enough hope in the irrational QAnon future that they're preventing them from going out and like shooting up malls, you know, go for it. QAnon conspiracies <laughs> like I guess it could be worse. But that's where we're at, I yeah. guess. Well, I mean, no, like, I mean there have it, been a couple of, like, Q-related murders. So. Yeah, there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there was the dude who, like, cut off his brother's head or something because he thought he was a lizard person. There was the guy who killed the head of one of the five New York City Mafia families. Which oh, I yeah, that's right. Which process. <laughs> I just... Hmm, okay. I, Weird flex, but okay. I had forgotten about that one. That's <sighs> wild. These these shootings are such an act of of like nihilist um, rage, I guess. Uh, but it's so weird that you're seeing it from the right more frequently because it seems like they shouldn't be filled with nihilist rage because aren't they getting everything that they want? Right? Yeah, but right. they don't yeah, have I mean, they don't have a plan for the future. Yeah, and what they got is not what they were promised. They were promised like a dominionist. Quasi Strasserite, you know, welfare only for white people. We're going to kick out all anyone who's not Christian and it's going to be like a white ethno state. And they didn't get that and now they're pissed. Yeah, but they're not pissed at the people who promised them those things. As if that would fix the problem. Yeah. No, because they, they're the leaders. They can't be wrong. It must be some subversive element, which is why, like, the whole, like, QAnon thing as a shadow conspiracy of that is really interesting because like it's all the same projection it's all the same emotion it's just being twisted in a way that they can understand you just reminded me John I'm going back through our slack and uh, Chuck posted something funny today (laughs) that was uh, you know he works in HR he he blanked out all of the the personal identifying information but the subject line of this email he got was please deactivate Christian anger uh, I, I assume that Christian Anger is somebody that, you know, like worked at his company, but it's still pretty funny. It's like, yes, please. Will somebody do that? Yeah, it's impossible. Look, we've been trying <laughs> since before the Reformation to do that, and it hasn't worked. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it is so it is so strange, like, to, to see this happen because it just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense from any perspective that anyone, regardless of your ideology, would say, you know what's the best thing for me and my ideology is to do a mass shooting. Like, you're not benefiting anyone. Like, although I guess, you know, on the right, some of these dudes, you know, especially on the far right, some of these dudes who do mass shootings are kind of praised and honored like that. uh that guy who shot up the black church or whatever, oh. you know, they're like, oh, that guy. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, they used to use ER for Elliot Rogers to mean, like, doing a mass shooting. And they would, like, praise this guy. It's like, it's it's a death cult is yeah, what absolutely. it is. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The, the guy who shot up those mosques in New Zealand um, ex- explicitly yeah. oh, referenced right. um, the uh, Anders Breivik, I think is his name. Um, and his, like, yeah, mm, his, like his, like, 1500-page manifesto, guy. which was also explicitly about... You know, getting rid of these like brown invaders who were, you know, messing up our culture. Yeah. And there was a really good article on Bellingcat uh, about this sort of like gamification of mass shootings. And uh, 
you know, it's like I talked about in my thing about like 2014 being the first year of the 21st century is when you had these communities organizing around shared grievances that really resembled gaming forums and suddenly that was the common language they used and they were able to turn their grievances and what they did about their grievances into points. Right. Did you see that news that Walmart had put out like a corporate memo that was like, hey, because of the shootings and the heightened environment, we want you to take down any posters for like violent video games because we just don't want to like remind people it's gonna be really bad for our brand if people remember that of of the shootings and violence when they go to walmart not taking down all the guns Uh, and there was a guy who posted he was like i got this memo and i'm looking in the i work in the video game section at walmart and i just threw it in the trash because i I work next to the (laughs) counter with guns in it and i was like the guns are right there well you want me to take on a poster of a space gun but you sell yeah. a real gun right 10 feet away and you're not doing absolutely anything about that. And the thing that makes me so mad about the, the whole gun control thing is that the right is has successfully framed this whole thing about, well, the libs want to take away your guns to stop mass shootings. And even though they're still against that, they've set themselves up perfectly because any gun control that is passed, even if it's like the most aggressive fantasy gun control that you could possibly imagine that could never actually happen in reality, it's still not going to completely stop mass shootings. Like, they're still going to happen. But what it will stop are, you know, things like the ridiculously high suicide right. rate, especially like the military suicide rate, you know, domestic violence, people killing their spouse, people killing you know, their spouse and their family or whatever with guns, it will stop those. But that's not what they make the conversation about. They make it about these mass shooting events so that they're already setting them up to fail. Even if they do try to get something done, anytime there's a mass shooting, they can just say, well, hey, hey, look, it didn't work. So, you know, that yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, interestingly, you know, the like the top uh, method of suicide um, is uh, is guns for exactly the types of dudes we're talking about like like young disaffected men and we should also mention that the suicide rate in america is climbing at a very dramatic rate well that's a i think that's a good place for us to take a, a little cheery break. place what do you guys say we knew going in that this is going to be kind of a downer episode because it's one of those episodes yeah it's one of those episodes but uh not to worry we'll we'll get a little darker and then you know we'll see if we can bring it up near the end but let's take a break there Speaking of incels with violent tendencies. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Jesus Christ. John, you, <laughs> you, you recently saw the revival of Oklahoma, a.k.a. horny Oklahoma. I believe the term is the Oklahoma that fucks. Okay. Does it, though? Uh, 
I was in front stage. Well, there's that wheelchair girl. Oh, she's got pipes on her, let me tell you. <laughs> let, let me just say, I was not exactly on stage, because there are seats on stage. I was front oh, wow. stage, and uh, Curly nearly headbutted me. So I think it fucks. <laughs> why Why do they call it the Oklahoma that fucks? Because, like, I've been in that show, and it's pretty horny. Yeah, no, well... um. The whole point of this revival of Oklahoma was to bring it down to brass tacks, uh, sort of Brechtian Oklahoma, if okay. you will. And the big thing the director and writer wanted to do is they said they didn't want to touch the book at all. They weren't going to change a single word. All the changes were going to be in staging and design and orchestration and performance. Hmm. So as a result, they turned it into this like really intimate, almost black box type play about like this weird, violent love triangle between like Leslie, Curly, and Judd. But there's also this wacky Lori, musical Lori, Lori, Curly, Lori, and Judd. Right? I'm so sorry. Right, right, right. Larry, Larry Curly, <laughs> and Larry, Larry, Curly, and Judd. Right. And, That's gonna be the next next <laughs> And also this like wacky high-pitched incredibly high tension like musical comedy happening with you know like annie and uh hakeem and all that right and they do this by the set is in the semi-round circle in the square it's done up like a barn so much so that yeah the most expensive seats are actually on the stage at a table in the first act they make chili, and in the intermission, you get to eat it. I was going to say, oh, yeah, it, we're, uh, it sounds like going to one of those, uh, it's like the the Dolly Parton, um, like the horse show. It's like the medieval times, <laughs> except it's like the Confederate army. Right. <laughs> they, they come and feed you like fried chicken and biscuits the whole time. It's really good chili. Well, I didn't actually try the chili. I tried the cornbread. The cornbread was really good. It was probably okay. j- Jiffy Box cornbread. <laughs> nice. And the thing is that because they've stripped it down, uh, for example, the orchestration, uh, my husband was very upset at this because he likes a lush orchestration. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not mm, very It's not like the, as you were saying, Brendan, the 2002 revival where they were trying to go. Yeah, that, that was very Hollywood. Yeah, big yeah, Hollywood. They wanted to recreate this there. idea of big Hollywood, big production. And, you know, the, the history of the play Oklahoma is really interesting because it was basically written – for the centennial of Oklahoma becoming a state. But it was also written during the wartime period in order to be like this huge patriotic musical that everyone would love. Hmm. And so like the 2002 one is like, it's very orchestral. It's very trying to reminisce like the old school movie flavor, traditional Broadway. Whereas with this one, not only is the orchestra on stage. It's like a jug band. Not quite. But okay. they're slightly recessed on stage, and it's all um, traditional country western instruments. So you have like the accordion, you have the banjo, you have a bass, you have a guitar, and in fact, Curly plays all his numbers on a guitar. Oh, nice! And like, so it kind of sounds like it comes from Oklahoma. Well, it's kind of like an arcade fire, you know, type of like modern indie country stylings, a little right, bit. Right, right, and they pair. Like, they're basically almost no props. There's no setting aside from the setting that is in the stage which is this barn and they do really interesting things with like um, video devices Uh, for example the circle in the square theater has this really big back wall that is uh, painted with like this sort of naive like it's something you've seen I reminded me of like something you would see like in a union hall out on the plains Okay. This sort of like naive painting of like the plains and a farmhouse and people working. And during the song, uh, Old Judd is Dead, the entire stage goes black. The entire theater goes black. And they have like almost the entire conversation leading up to the song in darkness. And then when the song starts, you notice that someone is out on the stage with a Bluetooth camera focusing tight on the actors' faces, and that's being projected onto the wall behind them. Hmm. So they're sort of mixing cinema and theater, and it becomes, like, really weirdly intimate in a way that, like, that's what the show is trying to do. It's trying to get you really intimately involved in this bizarre love triangle. Sure. While also making a lot of jokes. 
Does he does uh does Judd sing his like I'm in a lonely yeah, room? Yeah, no, they song? keep the entire original book. That isn't that that's not in the isn't that from the wasn't there like a new song that they added to the like earlier revival where it's like the Judd has an extra yeah song I think or I think that's right Brendan because uh, yeah I've like I said I've I've been in that show since we saw the revival uh, in 2002 and that song was not in the book. Um, yeah, I wonder if they keep that because that is a really unusual uh, addition to the show where it, it tries to kind of humanize, you know, that character a little bit more and be like, well, he's just a lonely guy who's just really uh, dumb and uh, <laughs> well, possessive. Like, it was, it was Jordan, Peterson's, it's Jordan Peterson's addition to Oklahoma. Well, he, here's the thing. <laughs> the way they stage it is they stage it as like, oh, no, this is the justifications of a violent madman. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, like the, it's a single like the madness of King yeah. Scar in the in the Lion King or something. Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, that's definitely what they were going for. Yeah, and um, yeah, no, it's well, yeah. it's pretty great. They um, they still do the Dream Ballet, although they decided to do all their modern art things for the Dream Ballet. Yeah, that makes sense. The Dream Ballet is pretty weird anyway. It, it's it's weird in every production. Like, they've decided to lean on it being super weird here. They're doing a lot of, like, Alvin Alley, like, isometric modern dance, and the woman, it's a single dancer. She's wearing just, like, a men's t-shirt like you might wear if you're staying in your boyfriend's apartment. Right. That just says, dream, mm, baby, fine. dream. And it's covered in sequins. <laughs> Hell yeah. And she's doing, like, this really weird... Like uncomfortable a, a rhythmic dance while they're doing like acid rock covers of Surrey with the Dream on top, huh. and there's the, the screen is like just, uh, the stage is full of fog. Uh, yeah. What I liked is that during the intermission they had these really interesting light and color plays with the gels, and I noticed halfway through that there was the same colors used in traditional country western music posters. Oh, interesting. Like what? Like that sort of like pink to yellow to blue that you sometimes see in like old Beatles posters. Sure. That was like mm-hmm. the standard print you'd get from a printer. And I was like, oh, this is really trying to yeah, tie it into color. the tradition of like music and performance and country music. And uh, the other big change is the ending. Uh, yeah. So uh, do you remember? I, I don't even remember how the original ends. Well, so they get into a knife fight. And then that the guy, the hero guy, kills the incel guy, right. and then everyone's like, "That worked out yep. great." Uh, Tom, Tom for a wedding. And then, and then, Ada Wayne decides that she wants to be with Will and not the Tinker. And yeah, everybody gets married. It's great, right? Oh, and I, I do should mention this is definitely one of those plays where, especially if you're sitting on the stage, the actors will get up and you're drunk. Okay. <laughs> Which was very fun to me because they were all like people who thought they were going to go see like the 2002 revival. <laughs> like, they're like wearing ties and things. I'm like, nope, you're not doing that. Okay. So how does the, how, how does this new revival uh, change the ending? Uh, I think it's actually an adaptation toward the ending of the uh, play the original musical is based on. Which is okay. they have uh, – you know, they cast Judd out. They have the wedding. It's fine. And it's on the wedding day. Judd shows up after he's been fired. And he uh, asks to kiss Lori on the wedding day. She agrees to. And it's very tense. And then he uh, gives a gift to Curly. And the gift is a loaded gun. Huh. And he then proceeds to commit suicide by Curly. Okay. Well, that's. I mean, that's kind of how it happens. I think. I, I get this one interpretation of the original. Right, but kind ending. of. I mean, Judd Judd attacks Curly in the original. I think. Well, like it, it's way better than the movie where he just like dies because he falls on something. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, because in the movie they're like they throw him up on top of a hay bale or like a big a big haystack. Yeah, there's and then a lot of Judd's... haze code sh- stuff they couldn't put in. That's why <laughs> right, Aldo right. Annie has to have like a collar up. That's why all the hay is there. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like Aldo Annie. It makes it sound like she works at a grocery store. <laughs> all the all the Annie. Annie. That's the Annie. Annie. <laughs> right. 
But uh, the thing that shocked everyone in the audience, uh, including me, was that, you know, when Curly, they come out, they're wearing like these beautiful white, uh, he's wearing like a white Western quasi tux. She's in a white gingham gown. I gotta say the costumes in this are very good because like for the first act, they're basically wearing modern ranching clothes, which is nice. Yeah. And when he shoots Judd, the biggest squib I have ever seen on a Broadway stage goes off. <laughs> and they are just covered in blood. Hell yeah. It's like the, the scene in uh, Adam's Family where Wednesday and Pugsley yeah. put on the little performance yeah, and just spray like, the entire audience down like with his blood. His face is covered in it. Jeez. And, and then they have to do like this really quick... Well, does he go to jail? Like, we have to have the judge. Aren't you the judge? Well, let's settle this here. Well, I don't agree on settle this here. Well, you're going to agree on settling it here, or we're going to shoot you. And right. it's very, like, prairie justice. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. They all, and they all agree it was self-defense. It was self-defense. <laughs> it was self-defense. <laughs> and then they go into the reprise of Oklahoma, but everyone's kind of, like, bug-eyed and slightly screaming. And Lori's, like, nodding <laughs> and, like, singing. She's just sort of, like, on the floor wailing. And you're like, Oklahoma. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Oh, this sounds great. Yeah, but no, the reason it's called the Oklahoma... Uh, Oklahoma, as it was always meant to yeah, be. a shocking tale of violence <laughs> and passion. And yeah, the reason it's called the Oklahoma that fucks is that like the two main actors uh, have really, really intense uh, chemistry. And a lot of the musical numbers are just them like singing at each other in a tight close up as the only people on stage when it looks Mm -hmm. like they're going to rip their clothes off with their teeth. Sure. And just and just panting. Everyone's just like panting. (laughs) No, literally. It's like everyone's Aldo Annie. (laughs) That sounds great. (laughs) Still, still calling her Aldo well, though. Alpo, Alpo, uh, Alpo. Andy is amazing. <laughs> well, it's 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 also really fun to see like on a really hot night in New York because you're like, yeah, I'd I'd probably go insane if I had to be there with no air conditioning. Oh God, can't, I I can't even imagine. Um, yeah, it's uh it's got to be real hot on those lights too. Oof. Yeah, well, yeah. Again, it, it's a show where like if someone spins their head the wrong way, you definitely get caked in their sweat. Right. uh the magic of life it sounds like fun i i would have rather done that one actually uh than the than the traditional what a what a timeless tale i mean who would have thought that um you know incel violence uh it would would be the the trend that that continues through the generations doesn't it go back to greek theater oh absolutely oedipus the original i mean well certainly I mean, yeah, uh, uh, certainly Shakespeare, too. I mean, Iago is, like, the original, you know, like, classical English literature incel. Mm-hmm. The parrot from Aladdin. Yeah, I agree. Right, yeah. Hey, did you see him with a female parrot at any point? <laughs> Not in the revival. They didn't throw that romance, Iago romance <laughs> subplot in the, in the revival. You see, there are so many missed opportunities. No, the live action... Yeah, the live action only had a love story for uh, the genie, which, again, sounds really stupid, but probably one of the better things that they've they've added to one of those movies. Brendan's still super skeptical. I can't believe you haven't yeah, seen it. No. You've got kids. Like, how, how have you guys not seen this movie yet? Well, you know, I heard it was bad, so <laughs> we didn't go see it. It'll come on Disney Plus, and we'll probably watch oh, yeah. it eventually. You know, you know. How it is. <laughs> All citizens are required to finish their hourly requirement of Disney Plus viewing. Yeah, well, I'm going to be talking about it later. Uh, preview for you, so uh, you'll get your daily dose of Disney <laughs> in this podcast for sure. Well, John, thanks for your your review of the the new Oklahoma. I didn't even know that they had done one. That's yeah, no, really it, interesting. It, 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 won, it That's won a whole bunch of Tonys, and uh, it had a huge buzz when it came out. I remember when it was uh, it was originally staged in what was essentially a high school basement, and I can only imagine it was way more intense there. Yeah, yeah. Well, Broadway's crazy now. I mean, like it's had their best year since nineteen seventy four. You know, like there's like Dear Evan Hansen, and God, there's some other musical that was like. A, like a high school basically did it and like now it's like on Broadway or like off-Broadway. Is that uh, a- Aliens? Um, the the Aliens stage play? <laughs> I'm coming no, soon, no. hopefully. Aliens isn't on Broadway. That was like 
a no i know i know i know like they did it but like sigourney weaver showed up for one of the productions of it like that's how oh that's awesome there's prom which apparently ryan murphy already owns the rights to and they're gonna do it but like there's also hades town which was written in like 2015 and now seems like really really on the nose oh yeah hades sound is amazing i mean there's literally a song about like, why did we build the wall? We build the wall to keep us free. And, like, the people that we're keeping ourselves free from are, like, you know, people who don't work or people who are trying to steal our jobs. It's unbelievable. Yeah, no, it's like Broadway has, in the last two years, recouped most of its rates of attendance from, like, the 70s. It's actually kind of insane. And so you have, like, all of these shows who, like, 10 years ago would have been monster shows and now they're just like well that's just sort of happening now because we have these other gigantic monster shows like Beetlejuice is actually good who knew (laughs) right yeah John I've been uh, rereading one of my old favorites the Mars trilogy uh, kind of over the course of the summer I'm you know reading other things in between uh, the three books but um, once society kind of has settled down on Mars and they've built this like new economy that is actually working for everybody. And it's just like anarcho syndicalist, like techno technological paradise for pretty much everybody. Um, They talk about how uh, like all of the old forms of media have kind of fallen away. Like nobody really is interested in Mm -hmm. like big budget movies and like TV shows anymore. Um, And all of the, all of the media culture that that generates all of the buzz goes to like these these amazing auteurs who are working in live theater and mm-hmm. people writing plays about you know what's going on right now or the you know the events of the civil wars for the past like 50 years and i don't know what do you think about that do you think uh do you think that there is going to be more of a demand for for live theater in that same way? I mean, especially now that I mean, we were joking about Disney and how Disney pretty much owns everything. So everything's going to be sort of bodlerized, bowdlerized. Um, well, that that's released by that one studio that owns all of our culture. Well, I think that what there is is because all of mass culture has become essentially a uh, Lego brick commodity. It's something you can watch whenever you want. It's something right. you can do whatever. That the real drive has been toward things that are unrepeatable. You see this actually in the um, the growth of experimental dining uh, and like molecular gastronomy. Like people oh, want a one-of-a-kind yeah. experience. And you can get that in the theater because no production will be the same no matter how finely well you tune it the same way twice uh actually the west end figured this out a long time ago and they started introducing a lot of gimmicks like plays where the plot would pivot on a coin toss oh interesting yeah right and actually i had this conversation with people who will remain unnamed about how a green new deal could incorporate entertainment how could we have decarbonized entertainment and you know i I always say like Mm. a proper holistic green new deal includes building a lot more dance halls because then people aren't dependent on like computers and television and streaming that requires a lot of rare earth materials but i also think it means having a vibrant national theater department or regional theater department or even just a community theater department right sure well and i think one of the things that's very interesting is that in kind of the modern era people don't necessarily want to like pay for like uh, a show like they don't want to like pay money to like download a, a show or a song or whatever people just think like I, I I can get that for free I don't need to pay for that but they absolutely will recognize like oh yeah you're gonna pay for like a live performance yeah something. sure live music so, is going as strong as ever right and so in a way it is almost like the you know it's like the late stage economy uh, proof like format right which is like live performance it's like you can't you can't like fall into like i'm not gonna pay for this category because there's people right there the people are right there to for you to (laughs) see so if you're not paying them you actually like feel emotions versus like well i just downloaded a thing so nobody even cares yeah Yeah, or i mean and and to add on to that brendan i mean uh a friend of ours was uh just at uh shakespeare on the green 
which is the like the big Shakespeare thing that they do at uh, University University of Nebraska in Omaha um, every summer. And that's just a free, you know, they do like they pick two Shakespeare plays every summer and you can pick which night you're going to go. And they do, you know, like five performances of each of them or something like that. Um, and that thing is still super popular, um, probably more and more popular as time goes on and word gets out. And like it's again, it's one of those not replicable experiences um you don't have to pay it's it's free for the public but that's a well-funded you know theater department that this is a thing that they do they, they pass the hat obviously um right well and it's one of those things where you can get like old rich people to be like oh money for shakespeare sure, sure. Or whatever where it's like how about experimental theater or whatever and they're like nah, 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 not that's yeah not maybe not maybe not i mean um <laughs> You know, you do see, uh, I, I don't know, I guess you could kind of compare like the Patreon model right now, right? That mm-hmm. like the the reason they picked Patreon, it goes back to the idea of like the Renaissance patrons because that's, you know, that's where like Leonardo got all of his money to like dick around, you know, making sketches of helicopters and all of these great works of art. Raphael and Michelangelo had wealthy people who wanted their legacy to be these great works of art. And so they were, they were patronizing these people. Um, and so you see that now with, you know, podcasting and visual artists and musicians, um, people who are, you know, now you've kind of crowdfunded that, like, uh, maybe, maybe one or two rich families isn't going to be willing to pay for an experimental video game, but like 10,000 people chipping in $1 that they can spare can absolutely do that. Oh yeah, Patreon is like single-handedly responsible for reviving both the uh, comic book anthology anthology genre and most board games and indie sure. games. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, like totally. the only real problem with Patreon is that they're a single organization that we don't have any control over. So if they wanted to stop this tomorrow, we couldn't stop them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I I agree, John, that what we need is like a decentralized Patreon because really all you need is enough enough to cover the overhead of like running some servers and maybe a couple of content curators Um, or or, uh, i'm sorry yeah just you wouldn't need to run it as a for-profit venture is what i'm saying yeah exactly like it it could be part of a larger system with uh some more democratic controls on it it wouldn't have to be chained to this venture capitalist vampire class right 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 yeah and i think you know the future of technology with like you know peer-to-peer like monetary transaction sharing like seems like that's kind of inevitable at this point Mm. to like have a way that he's like i'm just directly paying you know this person from you know my device or whatever um but but yeah, so, like you mentioned podcasts, which we're on, so this is meta. But it's you know <laughs> they've effectively replaced the space that um, talk radio did. Yeah, well, maybe not well, that's replaced. Still, that's still but going strong. Yeah, not not replaced, <laughs> but certainly have supplemented it or augmented. Uh, yeah, a, a lot Indeed. of the audience that are dedicated to talk radio are still there. But then, like you know, we talked to we talked to Brian from Street Fight. Uh, a couple of weeks ago and you know he does a radio show and then like the second two thirds of his of his show are podcasts and that's all paid for through patreon also so yeah well you know my idea of creating like a curated podcast uh, radio station which is basically just be advertising them their patreons right yeah yeah i think it's brilliant let's well, end on me I being brilliant yeah Hell okay. yeah. Let's let's take a little break there. Um, that second segment was a lot higher already than I thought it was going to be, but I bet we can take you out even Very higher than that. Very few people died. <laughs> <laughs> Only, Only John. Fi- yeah, that guy yeah. sucked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, guy, that guy absolutely fucking sucked. Flowers, 
actually have two high notes this week. Greedy. Uh, both of them very online. The first one's kind of mean. The second one is kind of uplifting. But you guys can help me decide if the first one's a little mean. So there's a 20-year-old online who fancies himself... Uh, a bit of a muckraker, a, a, a conservative journalist. Oh, is this about David Wall again? <laughs> no, no, no. Everybody's everybody's moved on from Jacob Wall since he spectacularly imploded. No, you can't even remember his name. Uh, yeah, he's <laughs> this so guy, yeah, right. Now. See, yeah, proves the proves the point. The, the thing is, nobody's going to forget this guy's name ever. Um, he wrote an article uh, that his tweet about it was the Dayton shooter is antifa's first mass killer the 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 journalistic outlet he published it in said the dayton shooter may be the and of course as we learn more about it it's not only if you believe the fake news media man right this was one of the guys who was going around um asking people if the, the Dayton guy was online and he had retweeted a bunch of like prominent leftists and stuff. So he was going around asking people like, oh, yeah, what was your connection with this guy? Do you support him? Like, of course, everybody was like, no, of course not. I, you know, I didn't have anything to do with this guy. I can't control who retweets me. No indication that, you know, that there's any relationship here. Except for friend of the show, Ken Klippenstein, who just repeatedly asked him in in all of his inquiries, in response, is your name really Harry Cherry? Apparently it is. Improbable. H-A-R-R-Y-C-H-E-R-R-Y. Whom among us does not enjoy a cherried Harry? I'm more of a Harry <laughs> Carey fan myself. What's your favorite planet? Mine's the sun. That was one of the jokes for sure. Um, lots of people started calling him um, Harold Cherold. Uh, also, um, Harrison Cherison. Basically, this guy has had his account locked down for the past, like, 36 hours because Ken is extremely online and kept posting these little exchanges where he would just, you know, he'd get asked this really insulting question and then respond to it with just... Is your name really Harry Cherry? What's worse, having your name be Harry Cherry or having that be your self-identified pen name? Yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Yeah, nobody... No, 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 no. We do know for sure that that is his name because he tried to sue Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez a couple of years ago for blocking <laughs> for, him on Twitter. For not dating right? him. <laughs> right, for not debating him. And somebody dug up the... The, the filing in that lawsuit, and it turns out that his name is actually Harold Cherry, so he is Harry Cherry. Excuse me, Harold Cherald. Harold Harold Cherald, that's right. Chairface. <laughs> that's like Democrat guy who was just posting, like, did you know that Trump's donors are public? And, like, here they are. Like, what's wrong with these right. people? And then people were like, oh, my God, I can't – what are you – why are you inciting I can't believe that you're like, doxing just, these people. Yeah. I'm just pointing to a public record. Yeah, you know? yeah. Just like everybody scrambled to try to dissociate themselves from uh, the El Paso shooter because they didn't want to be associated with his, you know, with his ideology, his clearly stated ideology in his manifesto. It's the same thing. Everybody's scrambling to protect these people who were like big dollar donors for Donald Trump. Some guy who was like this, he was like the CEO of, of some tiny company or whatever, but he put out a statement that was like, hey... I voted for tax cuts, not racism, okay? Like, <laughs> it's not like I voted for the racism. You know, I did vote for Trump, and I do give him money, but it's only for selfish reasons. The racism reasons was a big part of the campaign. Not hateful reasons. Well, it, yeah. it, it's like Krusty in the voting booth, you know. I, I don't agree with his killing all Jews policy, but I am aching for that upper class tax cut. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like, between Harry Cherry and Andy Gno and... Um, the Equinox thing, it's really been hard for the gay liberals. They, yeah. They're having a hard time right now. They have to think about politics. They don't like doing that. After all, yep. as their signs say, they would rather be at brunch. Yeah, <sighs> absolutely. The, yeah, so the Harry Cherry thing was, uh, it's it's ongoing and it's still really funny to everybody. It's like 30 to 50 feral hogs was the big meme for exactly 12 hours a few days ago. Um, but now it's Harry Cherry, and since Harry Cherry keeps popping his head out like a groundhog and saying some invective, he's popping that cherry. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a cherry popping daddy for sure. 
<laughs> we'll see how long that one goes. Um, my, my second one is a little bit more uplifting and it goes along with what we were talking about at the end of the last segment was sort of decentralizing uh, art and, you know, alternative ways of getting your, your artistic message out there. There was a, a really neat little thread um, kind of a meta thing, and I'm going to mess up this gal's name because it's an odd spelling. It's Julia, and it's G-F-O, Gulia. sorry, G-F-O with an umlaut R-E-R. Uh, so I think that's probably like Gefurer or something. Um, she's at Thorazos, T-H-O-R-A-Z-O-S on Twitter, and she made a really neat little thread on how to make your own zine. And the the thread itself is a series of images that if you were to print them out and staple them, they would be a zine. Uh, and it's just, she gives these really nice instructions on not only how to do the thing, but also what you could put in it, um, how to, you know, get into the communities and why you might want to do this. Like, you know, if you find yourself getting closed out of, you know, bigger uh, media properties, you know, people aren't, um, people aren't picking up your work on Patreon or Twitter or whatever, consider making a physical thing. And I thought it was really neat. So I'm going to drop the link, uh, in the show description because I I think, you know, she, she makes it sound really easy. It's like, pick a topic, do some doodling, you know, do some, do some collage art or whatever. And then apparently there are all of these communities that you can get into where people sell or trade their zines around. And so, um, yeah, I think the, that whole zine culture goes right along with what we were talking about before. And this is a cool little resource for anybody who, who is interested in, in engaging with that. So yeah, that's my, that's my other high note. That That's what people were talking about when they were talking about like zine culture this past few days yeah yeah um there were there were a few kind of grumpy gooses uh through the you know through the threads going like well i live you know in a place that literally doesn't have a copy machine within a thousand miles and how how am i supposed to make i guess you just have to draw it out with a marker it's called mimeograph and or or it's called like go to a yard sale and pick up somebody's old printer for like 10 bucks you know at a yard sale, it's probably still going to have paper in it. <laughs> Come to my house. I'll just give you my right. Yeah, totally. That old totally. Thing, man. I, I so, yeah. It. So there were some haters uh, talking about how, you know, this is this is really exclusionary, actually. And like all all she did was make this. Oh, my yeah, yeah, God. Whatever. The, original, <laughs> the original punk zines were like made on literally yeah, nothing. Yeah, Come exactly. On. Exactly. So it was it was a cool little resource. And now I kind of want to like pick one of these topics I care about and like try my hand at making a zine and see if anybody's interested in that, you know, just as a, just a little hobby thing. So, um, so thank you, Julia, unpronounceable last name. Um, that's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I think that's interesting. Cause I, I do, um, I do support and contribute, uh, DSA's build, which is our official zine. Oh yeah. Uh, which is all about like case studies about what works and what oh, doesn't cool, work. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's case studies, recipes, and poetry. And uh, I always thought it was like, it was really interesting that they focused on, we're going to like provide an online resource for this, but we're deliberately not online focused. We are a, give us a mailing address and we'll send you a zine. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And she, and she talks about, you know, the, the thread is a lot longer too. And she talks about, um, you know, people answering, asking questions in good faith. She was super friendly with, and eventually she ended mm-hmm. up muting a bunch of people because they just had to find a problem with this thing that when I was first reading, it, I was like, this is so wholesome and nice, you know, I, like explicitly said, please take this, print it out and sell it if you want to just like, don't, you know, change the content. Um, so it, yeah, I, I thought it was a nice little piece of uh, mutual support from somebody who's in that community and she gives you a bunch of leads on mm-hmm. where you might be able to find other people who do these things that you can trade or sell with and that's that's my high note who wants to go next well i got a doozy for you guys so i told you i was going to be bringing the disney <laughs> and it's time okay. the time has come so in between the hectic move there was a media spectacular event that you guys may have missed not exactly your target demo but Descendants 3 premiered on Disney Channel over the Descendants? weekend. And uh, this is a Disney franchise that I've talked about before. Think of it like High School Musical, except every character 
is the child of a Disney oh, character. Oh, okay, yeah. So, like, the main character is, like, the kid of Maleficent and the evil queen from Snow White and Cruella de Vil and Jafar, I think the other one is. I don't know. It's kind of... The, the, the connections are tenuous, okay. but the conceit is that they live in a fantasy, you know, Disney combined universe society where, like, Beauty and the Beast are, like, the king and queen and all the kids go to Disney High <laughs> And then one year they decide, hey, you know how we keep all the villains like over on a giant prison island? Maybe we should let some of their kids go to high school and just see how it goes. So that was Descendants 1. So now we're all the way in Descendants 3. And the conclusion of Descendants 3, which is this is a huge like media phenomenon for like 8 to 12 year old kids. And essentially the plot boils down to hashtag open borders, hashtag no ban, no wall, (laughs) because it features the, you know, the characters at the end decide like, no, we're going to like reintegrate society and like tear down the magic wall that separates heroes from villains. Because really what is uh, a hero or a villain? And in Descendants 3, the twist is that uh, one of the, kids a sleeping beauty's daughter is jealous that beauty and the beast's son ended up with maleficent's daughter and so she goes uh, on a magic rampage and like puts a sleeping spell on the Whoa. town and so they're like is the wall really keeping us safe because sleeping beauty's kid just tried to fuck everything up so like, why do we even have this wall? Like, it's not doing the best, anything. The best media presentation of a female incel so far, apparently. Yeah, it's a theme for this episode, <laughs> for sure. But I, I just thought that was amazing that like, the, the, this show for kids is, like, that is the plot of the show, is, like, explaining how, you know, segregated, unequal societies are terrible and how, like, building walls harms society. <laughs> right. Okay, this is all fine. I fully support this au fanfic but i just have one question uh-huh. you mentioned maleficent's daughter uh-huh who is her father hades from hercules okay yeah. okay yeah okay. naturally yeah sure <laughs> so, so also part of the conceit is that all of these villains who died at the end of their movies didn't actually die <laughs> they is, just I, fell off a cliff i'm hoping for a <laughs> prequel fine. because like yeah like hades is in the third movie and he's just like, I used to be cool, and I used to be a god, and now I'm stuck on this island. And I'm like, where's that movie? Like, how did that shit go down? Like, what happened after these right, Disney yeah. movies? That this is the situation. And also, like, they never explain after after three movies, like who some of these other people are. Like the Maleficent and Hades thing for sure. But also, one of the kids is like Cruella Deville, and it's like, who's doing that? Like, what's going on there there's a kid at the school i assume she budded <laughs> yeah now nah, it was one of her henchmen it was one of those two bumbling henchmen. yeah totally they're not sure yeah. which one uh no they were they were her they were her foot guys that makes sense yeah. one of the kids at the high school his dad is dopey from snow white and i just think that's not like that shouldn't be happening. Like, that's not right. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> he's like the school nerd. He's like the high school nerd character. That's fine. Um, who fucked Dopey? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> well, what I'm saying. Like, I don't think you should probably do that. Like, it seemed like he maybe was not, like, able no, to No, I'm consent. saying, do they mention it? No, they don't. Of course not. Oh, it might have yeah. been Snow White. Now that I now that you mention it, though, yeah, that's uh, dark. Really, there really is only one candidate that I can think of. <laughs> oh well, if you want to go into Disney original TV movies and dark, that's another podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll yeah, have to I do agree. it too, and not a high point. Hey, wait, well, we've uh, we we talked about the one where it's like the the zombie high school before. This is very is similar. It is like it, all Disney. TV musicals are literally about school integration now. Like, they're right. all on that, like, Kamala Harris train or something. Like, I don't know where this is coming from, but that is literally the plot of, like, every Disney Channel movie from Oh, now and this is, this is a musical also? I guess it would have to be. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, sure. The music's actually pretty, it's pretty good. It's not, it's yeah. not bad. Like I said, I wanted <laughs> to dislike them, and but they kind of grew on me, and now I'm like, they're actually pretty sweet. All right, John, what do you got for us? 
Well, I have something that is uh, actually a high note because it concerns material reality because I am the materialist in this world. I beg world. your pardon. Material girl. I, I talked, about, I talked about zine culture. That's what's more material than people getting their work the out there with a with an actual. How about people no longer being in jail? All Matt? right, fine. Go, 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 go. <laughs> the Denver City Council, headed by Democratic Socialist Candy Kidibaka, wing. That's a great name. Has decided to negate and bust the private prison contracts held by the oh, city. Oh, hell yeah. Now, this does not mean that, you know, all private prisons are now void. It has to do with the city held a lot of about 500 people currently held in four halfway houses run by the privately owned core civic centers and run by the GEO group. Now, these groups groups are highly connected with ICE detention facilities as sure. well. The idea is that since their contracts are going to go bust, and it's about a couple billion dollars worth in contracts, the city will take these contracts over and return them into being halfway houses and uh, mental health facilities as opposed to prisons. For-profit yeah. prisons. For-private profit prisons, no right. less. Well, yeah, like, yeah, these are these are private prisons. They're for-profit prisons. They're trying to bring the facilities to local independent control, which will ultimately save money for them because, like, they don't have to make a profit, so maybe they don't have to put as many people in them, which is right. like the Larry Krasner argument, like, justify to me the cost of imprisoning someone. Mm-hmm. It's a big show. It's a it's a nice show for the DSA coming out of our uh, coming out of our convention, which we just had, uh, which some people, who won't be named, helped design. Uh, <laughs> it was really a group effort. I couldn't the say The thing is, anything. you actually did get a, you did get a shout out on the last episode with, uh, with Everett, so. I do love that he's named Everett, but his common name is Trilburn. It's like, both <laughs> his names are weird. <laughs> I love him a lot and I love his podcast. Don't tell him I said that. No, he'll never okay. know. <laughs> Unless he hears this, which he won't. Fingers crossed. So good. John Levitt, it's always such a pleasure to have you with us. Pleasure to have beyond. Thanks for always bringing your Broadway expertise. Absolutely. Yeah, what are you what are mm-hmm. you promoting right now, John? I'm not promoting anything as of the moment because I've been busy organizing in the real world. I will be on Horror Vanguard probably before this episode comes out. So look for me on Horror Vanguard. Yeah, do. Um, and I'll also probably be on Working People uh, after this program comes out. So look for me on that. Awesome. Outstanding. I'm just on podcasts yeah. now for some reason. <laughs> and you're on Twitter too, right? Oh, God, all the time. I am on levittalone.com. That is L-E-A-V-I-T-T-A-L-O-N-E. That was beautiful. <laughs> and that is also the name of my website. You are on Twitter at levittalone, and that the name of the website is the one. You just pulled a Joe Biden on us. <laughs> Go to 3 Oh, my God. <laughs> to be fair, the reason I pulled a Joe Biden on you is because I burped while saying something. That's the, that's the ultimate Joe Biden. No, that's because he had a minor stroke. We're gonna save the ultimate Joe Biden for the for the post show, I think. So the um, ultimate Joe Biden is when he pees his pants in a debate. Yeah. So, uh, so, so if if you are interested in hearing the post show audio maybe we can convince john to stick around for that for a little bit too you can check out our patreon it's patreon.com slash liquid flannel and literally just a buck a month it would be nice to be able to not have to fund hosting completely out of our own pockets and by our own i mean of course brendan's yeah i got podcast studio mortgages to pay people i can't be doing this <laughs> experimental right. <laughs> podcast art for free, okay? You got boxes and boxes <laughs> to deal with. So do check that out, please, and uh, toss us a toss us a buck or two if you can. It'd be, it'd be really nice. Uh, and meanwhile, you, of course, can follow the show on Twitter at liquid underscore flannel. I'm Matthew Hodges. I'm on Twitter at MattTheGweight with a W. I just crossed 3,000 followers, so I think I'm big time now. I'm pretty pleased. Blue check and, marks any day. Yeah. Any yeah. day now. Brendan, you're on Twitter. I'm at Brendan Williams with one L on the Twitters. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks again, John. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>